Hi, I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is indie band Husbands. Husbands is Danny Davis and Will Norton. They both met in college and formed a connection through the production of a Godzilla musical. Now in their 30s, they are releasing their latest album, After the Gold Rush Party. About balancing work and their creative energy, while wondering where have all the punks gone. Their song, Mexico, was named the number one song of 2019 by the Oklahoma Rock Show and was featured in NPR's Heavy Rotation. I got a chance to talk to them both about the song's success, breaking down the rest of that album, and how they went from 70 songs to only 13. I'm uh, Danny Davis. I write and sing and play guitar and uh, record and whatever else in Husbands. And I'm Will Norton. I write and sing and play guitar and play whatever other instruments and record with Husbands. How often do people ask if you guys are married? (laughs) Um, I think that was a a misconception early on. Uh, I know at least like... One of my dad's friends was like, saw a picture of us in the Gazette early on, and they're, I don't know, uh, they were like, "What? What's going on? Is is Will married? Look you at know, these husbands." Well, yeah, no, I mean, not see, that much confusion, I'd say. I guess we see it a lot online, like on Bandcamp. You can see what people search for to find the music, and sometimes it's like, it's you know, interesting things like husbands married i think they're searching for something else when they end up on the band camp but husbands is a word that you know mm. can lead you to interesting places on the internet i guess i don't really care if <laughs> if someone thinks that we're married that's like just kind of like you know kind of a white stripes type intrigue you know so you know, are they married are they not are they brother and sister i don't know yeah we're brothers <laughs> are you guys individually married like to other people <laughs> Yeah, that used to be kind of a unique thing to us because, or or at least, I mean, yeah, we were married relatively young, so at the time, no one else was married, so it's like, all right, we're two husbands and we're doing music together, so that's kind of where it originated from, was just, it was a unique thing at the time, and now it's just a very regular thing among our friends, at least. What do you guys do for a living now? I'm a software engineer, so I just, I program airplanes and things like that. And I'm a corporate attorney in the city. Uh, so this album kind of draws from like living that office life, but wanting to get away from it a little bit, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it's always on the forefront of your mind because you spend most of your time there, but you care about, you know, the stuff you're creating and things. So as you're sitting there in my cube or, or wherever you're at your office, trying to think of creative things and all around you is just very normal things going on. So yeah. Yeah. And I think just kind of as a creative, um, inspiration, I think, well, Danny's gotten work where he's had to travel up to Seattle and I've been in law school for the last three years. So I've been thinking a lot about what it's going to be like to just have, you know, a full on career and just kind of playing on that within the album. I mean, we just, we talk about, 
I don't know, a kind of, kind of this funny tension that occurs when you kind of still think of yourself as somewhat, I don't know, either nonconformist or punk or whatever. And you're really, you know, also at the same time, uh, you're just kind of in a cube, you know, just doing your doing your work. And there's just some kind of like funny tension there between, um, I don't know, seeing yourself as like a punk rock type person when you're probably totally not. In a way, that's kind of, we've been self-conscious from the beginning of something like that. You know, we were in college, married, and that was kind of, I don't know, we were always kind of aware of being square. We, we kind of have, from the beginning, also thought about our music as sort of an, uh, an escape and a sort of a, I don't know, like a, a childlike kind of fantasy that everyone who plays music really loves to just sit in a room and, and work on songs and record them. And, you know, by doing that, you're kind of like inherently shirking your other responsibilities in life. I, I don't know, at least I always feel that way. Is whenever you're working on music, there's probably, you know, a project you could have worked on at the house or career building opportunity. And, and you're kind of, instead, you're just in a room dreaming about getting to play this song in front of people. Will and I talk about how a lot of times you know, sometimes the best things you do are the things you do when you should most definitely be doing something else. Like when we're the busiest with other things, sometimes, you know, you use the escape thing to say, all right, well, this is very important and I should do this thing right now, but I'm going to go ahead and mm -hmm. get away from it. I always felt like I wrote my best songs whenever I had like finals coming up <laughs> and I should have been studying for finals. It's like, oh man, now, now I'm really creative. So what is the songwriting process between the two of you now? Pretty much the way it works is one of us will come up with an idea and it'll be either, you know, fully realized or partially realized or just even just like a riff or a, a vocal line or something. And we'll share it to each other, usually on Dropbox or in person or via text. And we'll usually the other person will start adding to it. Um, either it's like a new part or just kind of layering on top or rearranging the song. And for the most part, I mean, that's kind of our process is we just go back and forth. We text each other a lot or, or talk on the phone a lot about kind of what we've got in mind for, for the song. Sometimes we'll get really inspired by a certain part of a song and then try to kind of create new songs based on that idea. And, you know, usually we're trying to kind of create some amount of rules that we'll try to kind of uphold for a project. So, you know, on this album, we were really interested in uh, some kind of kraut rock type themes. And so we kind of have a lot of propulsive drums and a lot of kind of angular, like repetitive guitars that we kind of just, once we realized that that's something that we could work with, we just kind of kept with it. And we kind of thought that was kind of an interesting sound um, to kind of complement the, the general themes about kind of growing up and, and kind of being part of like a, a nine to five and kind of... Um, you know, just kind of the repetitive motion. There was a period of time where we recorded in Nashville. There's a, uh, we, we both drove like about 12 hours to Nashville and got an Airbnb and recorded for a weekend. And like every time I'd come home, uh, we'd record in Oklahoma City. And then same with when you were in Seattle, you'd come back and we'd record about two days or so. And 
Yeah. Uh, were there any Krautrock projects or albums that you were listening to that kind of helped shape what you wanted from your own project? Yeah, I mean, we've always been big Devo fans, so Devo is obviously probably the biggest one, you know, or No Wave. I, I, they're kind of crowdy at times. Yeah, so. yeah. Kind of in the same kind of spirit, though. Like, right. Listen to a lot of, like, Can and Noi and things like that uh, throughout this whole period of time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good good touch point, is just, like, Devo was kind of a, something in our minds. Again, not not Krautrock, but I mean, Talking Heads was kind of, you know, specifically like Once in a Lifetime was kind of a song that we thought was kind of a good uh, touch point for what we thought would be thematically consistent with what we were trying to do. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack, and you may find yourself in another part of the world, and you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Did you guys know that there's another band called Husbands? There's like, a few. Yeah, yeah. There's a few different ones like doing a Google search. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of different bands. I know there's one from the 70s. I was just wondering. Oh, if really? You, yeah. I think they were kind of like a um, punk, proto-punk kind of band. I was wondering if you had heard any of the other husbands' music. Uh, yes, I have. There's a, there's at least like one, I don't know, heavy rock husbands in I think Pennsylvania or something. <laughs> but there's a French husbands who actually uh, they've done well for themselves. So far, we've never contacted them. They've never contacted us. Well, coincidentally, I mean, it was March of 2013 or something. Like the the month we released our first song on Bandcamp, they did their first song on Bandcamp. So it was we had Googled ahead of time just to make sure, you know, mm -hmm. at least not too many. And we basically did it at the exact same time, coincidentally. <laughs> I don't think there's a trademark issue, though. Because they also haven't done anything in a while. They haven't done anything. They're also French, so they would go by a different trademark. Uh, this is the lawman question. It would get weird uh, <laughs> if we really cared. But um, I would be okay with that, though. I think they'd probably be fine with it, too. They seem like nice guys. And they're good music, too. I mean, they're good music, yeah. yeah. So has the band always just been kind of you as a pair, a duo? Yeah, we, we like love to have people come in and collaborate um, so we've got, I don't know, maybe uh, seven musicians on our new album, maybe. Uh, Sounds right. And it's always fun to have people collaborate, but um, for the most part, we just tried to keep it pretty, um, just between the two of us. It seems like that's been working for us. Um, we're both able to kind of push each other to keep working and keep 
coming up with new ideas and, you know, and, and also kind of we're able to align our kind of our visions more rapidly just because it's just two of us. Um, than if you have three or four people who have their own sets of influences and uh, it, it becomes a little bit harder to kind of negotiate like where we're trying to go as a band. So I think it's just been really good for us to just kind of keep it kind of nimble like that. So you guys play kind of a really tropical or I guess beachy kind of rock music, but it's kind of ironic since you guys live and spend a lot of time in Oklahoma, which <laughs> is not coastal at all and has, I don't think has any natural bodies of water either. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering what drew you to that kind of sound. Well, that's uh, another thing we'd sort of been self-conscious about. I mean, um, when we had just started, surf was kind of a thing going on at the time, you know. So maybe yeah. maybe that was part of it where uh, like surfer blood and um, gauntlet hair and bands Beach like fossils. That. Beach fossils, sure. Woken up in here kind of the sound going on but then incidentally you know we ended up visiting places pretty frequently I spent some time in Costa Rica last summer the full summer you know we were never surfers before so incidentally we've kind of come into that authentically but uh, only within the last year so before then I think it was kind of you know just continuing on the sort of escapist thing you know you're tapping into the things that you that you don't have maybe and that's the things you think about at times so and i i grew up on the coast I, I lived in brazil when i was younger so you know there was no such thing as surf pop really in brazil but uh bossa nova and stuff like that has always been kind of somewhat beachy and when danny was kind of exploring the sort of beach sounds it was pretty natural for us to kind of move that way um for a period of time we're really into like Tropicalia and things like that still are. But I mean, we were really kind of working on kind of thinking about that sonic palette for a while, not even really like music of the beach, but music that imagines the beach. Exotica. Like, yeah. Exotica, like yeah. Les Baxter kind of like, I mean, I don't know what his story is, but he's not like, doesn't seem especially beachy necessarily, but he just imagines this kind of this beach thing. And I think that kind of works for what we're doing. Is we're Oklahomans who write surf pop, basically. You know, we don't belong on the beach necessarily. We don't. We don't spend all of our days there. At, but, one, uh, at one point, Will described it as uh, Central Coast. Yeah, it's like that's nice. I like that. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but so I guess with the songwriting on uh, this album, it does draw a lot from like kind of traveling experience. Um, is that something that you were thinking about? Yeah, I mean, when you're away from home, you kind of think about how you feel when you are at home and how you versus how you feel when you're away from home. And a lot of it was just kind of thinking about the idea of home and the temporariness of home because you find that you can take happiness with you when you when you leave. And so it's like, well, what is what is home then? On your
know, when you're by yourself and you're not hanging out with people all the time, or, or you just have time to, you know, make music and think about music. So, you know, Will and I were texting and talking all the time. It was a really productive time, just by nature of having the time. So it was a very musical time for me, you know, I think about the time there and you can think of a bunch of the songs that came from that trip. Yeah. Uh, Man Horse. Sure, Man Horse, Tijuana. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. It's a, it was so good that it was like when you come back, it's like, oh man, you, you, you know, you dream about going back all the time. a picture of what it was like traveling in uh was yeah. it costa rica yeah well costa rica was uh I, I was working in costa rica so i i asked my boss if i could take off he's like well would you mind working it's like okay so I, I took my laptop and i worked there so i'd wake up five in the morning every day because the sun rises at five and sets at five so you know you want the sun so we were house sitting for this guy so that's that's what it was was a house sitting gig that my wife had found on the internet and it was a guy who had the only pool in the neighborhood and it was this remote town in southern Costa Rica. So no one was there besides, you know, a handful of expats and a bunch of cool Costa Rican people. So lots of surfing, lots of just hanging out with my wife. We would, uh, the internet was terrible. So we'd let an episode of Frasier buffer all day long and then at night, you know, watch an episode of Frasier. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. This is Dr. Fraser Crane, KACL 780. Talk radio.
Thought you'd never finish. You know, now I was going to say I buy us dinner and a lot of martinis. That sounds great, except for the dinner part. You meet any cool characters? Oh, or... yeah. Yeah, tons of characters. I mean, we would go to this uh, this Tico bar down the street, which um, was operated by this former Costa Rican national soccer player star named Calice. Um So, you know, he was like famous within Costa Rica, but we only knew him from, you know, just having this nice place to hang out. And the 76-year-old lady who asked my wife to illustrate her books, uh, we met her. And there was another couple from Houston house-sitting, or not house-sitting, they were running a B&B. Yeah, made tons of friends. Yeah. Oh, cool. Played poker every Friday with, with local people there, so. And so how did you record stuff back over, like overseas? And I, I bought this thing that um, Deer Hunter had used for their fifth album, this little Tascam small interface that you know was kind of cheap but also had been used to do good things that i wouldn't mind being destroyed by humidity so i brought that with me i brought my mics and it's kind of a pain in the airport because we wouldn't have had much stuff we would have had like swimsuits and a laptop but had an acoustic an electric and it was just a pile of equipment basically basically just struggled and went through the pains of getting a bunch of crap out to costa rica yeah, I can't imagine what it's like going through TSA and like, yeah. hey, this is a black box with a bunch of wires. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, they <laughs> they flag they flag power supplies and those wires all the time. Yeah. Of the songs that you mentioned that kind of drew from that experience, how does Man Horse fit into that? Because the other ones are pretty like straightforward. Yeah. So we're talking about basically that was just about being alone. You know, when I'm alone, I think about you all the time. It's just about being alone with the same person and what you're doing all the time. the same person all the time sometimes you feel like you're going crazy and you're just making your routines and that song's about feeling a little crazy i think and maybe having too much fun at times (laughs) that's a that's a song about having fun the title man horse that was just an image in my head i knew the chorus has something about a headless horse dragging my bones through the minefield so a man horse it's sort of sort of drawing on some words from the song but really i was just thinking okay i want to say the word horse in the title and then i was thinking of centaurs and harry potter maybe Hey, I'll buy in line. 
it, it's a bit nonsensical. Well, I feel like of the mythical creatures, probably like a centaur or like half man, half horse is probably the most rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're always buff and beefy dudes and they're uh, dangerous. There's always a hint of danger in a centaur. But when I was thinking of man horse, I was thinking of like not an actual centaur, but like a head on the body of a horse. So just like a, oh, the like head a, of a, a man. A, bo- a bojack. No, 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 no. The you're opposite saying... of a bojack. <laughs> where it's a horse the body a of a horse head. with just a human head running through the fields. You so know? not even a torso, just just a, a body, okay. just the body of the horse, and then the the head of the man. Was there any kind of reading of books that kind of went into this album? Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's always movies. For me, movies comes to mind. I was watching a movie called The Heather's, where we took a lot of it's like Winona Ryder and a bunch of girls named Heather in the movie and. It's a crazy movie, but they say all these funny 90s phrases, so like also clueless. I don't know. What's, uh, what's your damage? You know, they say that a lot, and we have a song that's yet to come out. Mexico used to be called What's Your Damage. That was the original title of that song, so that came from the Heathers. God, come on, Veronica. What is your damage, Heather? She's a Betty, comes from Clueless. Clueless, yeah. Not a total Betty, but a vast improvement. Well, we did our best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a book if we're going to make it be... Basically, you know, just watching a movie is like, oh, that's that's a good line. So you just write that down in your little notebook. So basically just tiny lyrical bits, not something to relate to the Heathers itself, but just the silly things they're saying in the movie. It's a ridiculous movie. Their vocabulary is ridiculous. So it comes across kind of funny. I prayed for the death of Heather Chandler many times. And I felt bad every time I did it, but I kept doing it anyway. Now I know you understood everything. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I, I was reading Samuel Beckett for a little bit on the last album, and and the lyrics got in there. Um, I don't think I don't think any like specific novels, you know, like were actually referenced in this um, album. Yeah, I think I think for this album, I think there's a lot more you know visual inspiration. One thing that really comes to mind is is like Tarzan and. She's a Betty. I mean, that was like a thing that kind of came to mind. But I mean, that's about it. I don't know. Skate videos. 
Sure, yeah. I mean, for for me, it was more a, a movie thing. Like, uh, Mr. Downtown is a line from what's the, that thing you do. That's like one of the hits from the fake hits from that movie. Mr. Remember the guy, the the mean guy? There was a mean guy in their band that was like probably doing the smartest things, but uh, they all broke up because it it just he like poisoned everything about it. It's a very common tale. Well, maybe for you, but I was in a band and we still have a hit record. Yeah, you do. One hit wonders. It's a very common tale. I had gone surfing that day, and these locals were like just the worst. Sometimes surfing is like less chill than you think it is, and everyone's aggressive. They can be, so mm-hmm. it was. It was about them. Like they had said some things, and you know, they call me Mister Downtown. I was just thinking to myself, it's like this very out of place character among them. You know, it's it's literally about just wiping out and being bad at surfing while everyone around you is judging you for being bad. <laughs> Always bracing for a wipeout. Couple gallons in the dome. book about uh buddy holly is that or is that the wrong way of saying it oh that was like speed racer yeah you you had a kind of a theme about sure american pie yeah so that was just um reading like just being deep in an internet hole uh speed racer started out i was reading about you know we talked about um joe meek the producer who did all this incredible music um but at the same time he was insane and one of the symptoms of his insanity was he thought Buddy Holly was talking to him all the time. I was just thinking, you know, that that's pretty awesome that some guy is, you know, you're a great producer, but you're envisioning this, uh, you know, dead rock star telling you, you know, how to how to do music. And then I started thinking about Buddy Holly. You know, um, Don McLean has the song American Pie where he talks about the day the music died and how... A lot of things that were important to him vanished, you know, in a day. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. He could attach the changing of the guard or the changing of something that he cared about to a day, which I thought was interesting. And that song's kind of about um, making art that people previous to you or that your inspirations um, would be proud of or would at least, you know, relate to in a way. Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day the music 
music died. That's why you say I'm baking a pie for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Baking a pie, you know. American pie. Right. Yeah, you're baking, you know, your own version of, of what they care about. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. This album, I'd say for the most part, I mean, we've got a few songs that came out pretty much immediately the way we've recorded them. But this song, this album has been like super reworked. We've modified and modified the songs as we kind of like, I think, got more clear about what kind of themes we wanted to talk about. And when we had songs that kind of like served as like, okay, this is really exciting as an overall sound. Now, how do we kind of shape the rest of the album to fit that kind of direction? Uh, a number of the songs have kind of like changed over the time, uh, over the time we worked on them. So was there a song that set the tone then for um, what you wanted to go? Yeah. So I, I believe that, I mean, we had a ton of songs. I think we've over this recording process, we've had at least 70 songs that we thought were candidates at one point or another. Um, at different times, we didn't really know, I don't know, like which grouping we really wanted to stick with here. And so that all kind of changed when uh, I, I recorded a bunch of like guitar parts and drum parts and stuff like that on Speed Racer. And sent it to Danny. I didn't really know what he'd do with it, but I mean, he just came back with this song about about punk rock and like everything we talked about, like. Buddy Holly speaking to him and things like that and I felt like when that song kind of came back to me uh, Danny what he did to it kind of served to be like okay now that is sort of the theme of the album sort of like contradiction between conformity and and kind of punk or age and youth and commercialism and capitalism versus kind of anarchy or whatever you want to call it.
anyway, when that song got done, it was like, okay, now we've got sort of a template that we can kind of go back and, and consider which songs we want to add, which songs we want to remove. It's been four and a half years since our last one, but all of over half the album was probably within the last year. Um, yeah. And yeah. so we've kind of continued on, you know, like following that sort of thread. We're still doing that and we have a lot of songs, you know, for the next thing that kind of follow a similar path. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, like the golden year was kind of about how you guys were going to just make music for this golden year and then um you kind of talked about how this newest album it was kind of expected to be released just a year after this yeah that last one but yeah. it's been taking a little bit longer than expected for sure um is there any kind of reason why well i think we could have released like another golden year pretty quickly you know if we had released something that was just like that i think we could have done that very quickly but i think for the most part there's kind of two things happening where one we were trying to kind of articulate a new story to tell um, and we didn't really know necessarily what that was yet and I don't think anyone really can tell you what what they're gonna do before they do it but um, but then the second part was we also just in terms of sound quality wanted to create a better sounding album and um, try to reach at least like kind of like a mid-fi grade as opposed to a lo-fi grade uh, sound So I think like we were kind of harder on ourselves with this album because we wanted it just basically to be better. And so we kind of used a lot of friends to help us get there. We um, we worked uh, with Chad Copeland at Black Watch, who um, has recorded, you know, Broncho and Sports and Sufjan Stevens, among many others. And he helped kind of get us maybe uh, get our sound quality up to a certain level. And really, like, I mean, we worked with him, and I think that was just inspiring in a lot of ways to kind of help us figure out what we wanted to do next. I mean, I think after we worked with Chad, we went back to our houses and worked on, I don't know, four or five songs after that experience that all made it on the album. Right. I mean, we did Mexico pretty much right after working with Chad. Speed Racer was right after Chad. Mm -hmm. Some of our favorite songs um, were done straight after working at Blackwatch just because we were so inspired in some way. It was watching just like a master doing his craft at a very high level. And for that matter, I mean, I think he gave us kind of a, an idea of how to reference ourselves for the rest of the album. Um, but maybe more than anything, it was just inspiring. Like just working with a guy who's really good at what he does makes you want to be really good at what you do. Yeah, and it seems like it paid off. Um, you said Mexico was like the track that you recorded right after that mm -hmm. that meeting with him and mm -hmm. that seems to be the song that's gained like a, a lot of traction for you guys recently yeah we got it pretty quickly i think what i was in vienna at the time so we were kind of when we released it i was being a tourist but i'd come home every night and like get on the computer and like <laughs> send out a ton of emails and stuff about the song but yeah it, uh, spotify picked it up recently after it was put out you know as a result of that and 
a couple other prominent blogs, um, including including uh, KOSU's uh, Heavy Rotation. It's definitely the best, the most successful song we've had yet. We're keeping in to keep them out. Do it again, she said, without any doubt. You know I want you. I think the second verse is where it kind of like gets great and the song just kind of builds from there. Chad, we were very hyper aware of the arrangement of songs, so the parts that we're writing for it, try to make them work without planning on doing a lot to it afterwards. Make these things work from the start so that it fills this space mm. with as little as possible as opposed to relying on the crutch of, okay, well, this is a little weak here. Yeah. It's just arrangement, thoughtfulness. Like, like good ingredients. Right. For you guys, what do you think it is about Mexico that kind of just got all these blogs to give you some some attention? Uh, I think it tells a clear story, first off. I mean, I think everyone dreams about vacation. Everyone dreams about escape. I think a lot of people are pretty interested in finding ways to not be so tied to capitalism, as in, you know, working for for the for the ability to live. Uh, that seems to be undesirable for most people. Do you guys like thinking about your your songs that way? Or, like, have you thought about like, oh, why is it that this song gets all these like numbers and this one doesn't? Or there's definitely like a like a diagnosis you try to do afterwards, but 
we have always been inclined to a pretty poppy type of music anyway. So, it, you know, incidentally that works out for us, but it's never like, never a guiding force, but we definitely do afterwards, you know, say, mm -hmm. okay, why, why this one and not that one, you know? I would hope we'd never like write another Mexico just because we saw it work once, you know? I don't think that's how either of us are. We're not wired that way and we're interested in doing new things. Uh, is there like a musician or someone that you would want to like have talk in your head and give you advice? Oh, sure. Mm. Tons. I mean, old ones, you got Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Still um, alive. Still alive, yes. Oh, yeah, sure. But I mean, just present day talking. If he could be, speak with you, yeah. <laughs> like to talk to him. We've uh, sent him some DMs. Yeah. No response. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. Well, a guy with standards that seem not impossible, but just kind of difficult and, you know, challenging. Bradford Cox from Deer Hunter is always kind of a, I don't know, he's always cagey when people talk to him, but he's also very interesting and engaging. And it'd be interesting to see if he thinks you're a phony or if, if he thinks that it's good or not. I'd like to hear his take. If I had like a direct line with Neil Young, if he could just speak to me that... Well, you know, maybe not now, but like maybe or young Neil Young. Uh, that's the guy that I'd like to have speak to me. Now I'm not so sure. What would you want young Neil Young <laughs> to say to you? Maybe just to sit there and talk about our songs and ways to improve them. There is like a worrying thing of just like meeting your idols and the idea of them just completely shattering. Oh, yeah. And in a way, it might be okay, like... I think we've always responded well to, uh, I don't know, critiquing one another. So like to have someone who is really good, who is like a legend, give his critique. You know, if he trashed it, it'd be like, all right, let's uh, let's take his advice and figure out how to make him not trash the next thing. What's the, the critique process between you guys then? I don't know. I just think we're pretty upfront about like, hey, this is what's good. This is what we can do differently. And a lot of times I think critique kind of just happens naturally where you actually literally uh re-record some track you know so if there's a guitar line that isn't perfect or a synth that isn't perfect or uh you know a kick sound that you know we just replace it and then at that point a lot of times it's like well hold on you know what do you think about this or or why'd you swap out that or but a lot of times i don't think we really talk too much about it it's like we're generally pretty like fluid with making changes is there a song that kind of went through the the most review and like takedown and reconstruction and then you know building back up miss universe was one where the beginning the, the first version of that song was very different than what it ended up being it, it used to be a very strokes song and then it became pretty heavily said Right, refitted to match the aesthetic of the songs around it.
And then like, you know, the opposite would be bikini bottoms. Bikini bottoms started out completely, you know, lo-fi synths. And it kind of turned into like a Don Henley style, like pop song, rock, rock song. Right. What, what yeah, is Bruce? Kinda, yeah, like Bruce Springsteen style. talk about the label that you guys kind of run cowboy 2.0 right mm -hmm. and you you release like these kind of small eps called content farms just based around these themes um what's the kind of like driving philosophy of doing that kind of thing uh the main driver is just um the first one you know we had just noticed a lot of bands around us were writing great music and inspiring music and and we didn't know them so it's like oh let's let's try to do something together and um talk to people about you know writing songs that are similar so that we can put them all together and basically we just thought it would be fun to create a reason to collaborate with the people around us so bands like mad honey and our friend james who does tokyo swish and brent hodge with rose glasses all these all these kind of dream pop flavored bands, you know, that are somewhat similar in aesthetic to what we do. Just an excuse to, you know, make music with friends was part of it as far as content farm goes. Once Josh Boydston, who does Norman Music Fest stuff, uh, so he's seeing tons of people you don't see, uh, sent us a band from Ponca City, uh, Shed Club, who are going to be on the next one. <laughs> So that's that's not usually how it happens. Usually it's just noticing things online, but sometimes people will send things in about suggestions of who to ask. Take down the picture. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when we're thinking about who we'd like to ask for the next one, like the next one will probably be out in February. It's deep sleep. You think of, okay, well, we haven't done one with Swim Fan, for instance. Uh, they could probably do a sleepy-sounding song. So you kind of think about, all right, well, there's a group that kind of sounds this way that might work. So sometimes that's like a factor, but then sometimes, you know, you just we just talk and 
um, determine one ahead of time and ask them. That's mostly how it is. What is the conversation to decide these themes? Because it's it's kind of all over the place. It's like space cowboy. I really like the um, the skating one. The, yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of like uh, the the Tony Hawk games. Like they oh, yeah. had great soundtracks of like, yeah, this is '90s skating. We tried to name that Tony Hawk. Yeah, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, and the the digital distributor we submit through returned it and said that's copyright infringement, so we had to call it Pro Skater. But yeah, we tried to name that Tony Hawk Pro Skater because, I mean, that's obviously what we're drawing from on that one. We um, could probably do another one of those. I think, like, there's more material there. Right. For the most part, they're either just a random idea or sometimes it's focused around a season or holiday. Yeah, it seems like... um. There's a lot of humor too, like with the way, uh, or EP covers like look, they they always make me laugh when I look at them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a uh, Joe Kappa did the art. Uh, he's an Oklahoma native, but lives in Colorado, and I think we just found his work through mutual friends, and he's got this hilarious kind of way that he draws people's faces with really messed up teeth and doing really mundane things, but but it looks really grotesque how they do them. I think that's just kind of, I don't know, I think that kind of fits with our kind of overall like uh, philosophy or whatever if we have one. Yeah, he did uh, He did their uh, record cover yeah. for our album. He painted it, which, you know, you never know what you're going to get from him. That album cover is a photograph of a painting he did where basically we said, will you make us with the weird teeth uh, <laughs> doing whatever? And he just put us both in a pool, a green grimy pool <laughs> yeah yeah and he he did this painting like this enormous i don't know five by three painting that turned out way better than i was ever expecting yeah he's doing a music video for us too i think he's gonna have like paper mache heads on people uh so you haven't seen like too much of like what's going on you kind of just, give him free reign yeah pretty much just, i mean just some beautiful photographs of these very creepy looking paper mache yeah. head guys yeah one is of this green alien, which I hope is a part of the video. I don't know if it is, but uh, it's very exciting to even think about because we're always blown away. So, Has there been any kind of consideration about maybe leaving your jobs if the music kind of goes in a certain place or direction? Uh, probably not anytime soon. We might have to get an offer to like play in Europe or something, and then maybe we'll talk. Yeah, we got to something it's you can't It's got to be something really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just wondering, like... Open for Blink-182 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is uh, maybe a slight step up from Smash Mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys opened for Smash Mouth, right? Mm -hmm. How was that? We're, good. we're still good friends. <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but, you know, they're very responsive on Twitter. So, like, every time we say something to them, they say something back as if they remember, yeah, which they like may not buddies. remember, but, yeah, it feels like <laughs> we're friends. I heard that they kind of resist playing, you know, the song that everyone wants them to play, <laughs> All-Star. Didn't they play it? Oh, they definitely played it, yeah. It's not so. It's not like a Radiohead creep thing. It's <laughs> They do take some issue right. with being like the Shrek band, but I think they also kind of understand that it's given them like another 15 years of relevance uh, and 
money for that matter what was it he was playing like at a food festival and people were throwing loaves of bread at him while they were playing that song or something so maybe it's like post-traumatic maybe stress maybe that's what he didn't like is getting bread thrown at him right all stars fine but bread yeah yeah i i had just heard stories about him like the song comes like you know as a closer and he'll just hold the mic out to the crowd he won't bother he won't sing it. <laughs> oh man like if it's just not like that kind of day i i could imagine just oh, like not being in just the not today not today <laughs> i'd be happy to sing if if you put the mic out there man oh yeah you know That's the words. track yeah <laughs> somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me i ain't the sharpest tool in the shed she was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead well the years start coming and they don't stop coming What's been the conversation like nowadays about what to go forward with with the band? Yeah, well, we've got a couple songs that we're excited about. And I think we're trying to use them right now as kind of our template for the next ideas that we're going to work with. We're, we're planning on playing regionally. Uh, we've got shows and uh, well, we're, we got asked to play Tree Fort Music Fest in Boise. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, we will be in Austin and Kansas City. So we're just trying to get you know opportunities to get out of um, state more, uh, get on the road just a little bit, just trying to keep working on new songs. I mean, now's the time to be working on new songs. So is there any kind of plan on when to release another album, I guess, or an EP or a year from now? <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't know. I mean, ideally, as soon as possible. We we always talk about, you know, when we did Golden Year, it's like, all right, we'll we'll have an album out, you know, in less than six months from now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we say in our heads right now. We'll say, all right, we're going to do something yeah, less months. than six months from now. Yeah. And we could, it very well could happen, especially considering, you know, I think we got through a lot of hurdles as far as being able to self-sustain. I, we're pretty satisfied with the way we record right now. So could happen. Um, but, you know, every time we say it, it, it ends up being later. So... We'll see. Hopefully soon. Sooner rather than later is what we're hoping. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming by, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate the talk. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Yeah, that was thank great. You. <laughs> You'll find more about Husbands and their label on KOSU.org, along with a list of all the music that was included. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan LaCroix, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matthew Viriapa. Thanks for listening.